Welcome to the TrueSight podcast by Oracle's Elixir, your source for in-depth analytical coverage of professional League of Legends and the rest of the esports world. I'm Tim Magic Sevenhusen, and my guest today is Jensen Go, the coach of Immortals Academy. How are you doing, Jensen? I'm doing great. Uh, happy to be in your show, happy to be talking with your chat, and happy to be giving you the True Sight on the True Sight podcast. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, this is going to be good. I, you know, You've been doing a lot of content, I think, uh, over the past few months, uh, ever since kind of your season wrapped up and then transitioning into the new position with Immortals Academy. Um, and that's been really interesting to watch your kind of strategic breakdowns on your YouTube and, and things like that. Uh, and we'll make sure that there's some links in the show notes to people who want to check out the content you've done and, and learn from the stuff you put out. But we're here today to, to, to talk to you about your coaching experience and your coaching philosophies, what you're planning to do with the Immortals organization. So... Uh, looking forward to to hearing a lot about that from you. So maybe we can start off by introducing listeners to kind of who you are and what you've done, what your footprint is in the League of Legends scene. So then maybe just tell us a little bit about kind of your coaching experience over the last few years. Where have you been? Who have you worked with? Uh, things like that. Well, that's actually a whole long list of it. Like just a few days ago, in order to, to get my visa and submit things, and I needed to write down all the countries that I've been in for the last five years. And it's quite a, quite a long, extensive list, to be honest. I, I started out in uh, 2017 with this team called Fireball, right? It's another one of those legendary meme icons. It's a fat kid on fire with the gold chain around the neck. Uh, the, it was, the abbreviation was FB as well. So the, the memes went, went quite far with that. That was the start of my professional coaching career. We are going to come like the the semi-professional when we were in the gpl and stuff like that because that's still kind of considered a major region back then um i was working with the singaporean teams at a point of time but my my debut in professional coaching in the full-time environment was in the lms with fireball and after that i went over to the the lspl back then it was still called the lspl for for at least during the the nesc period so i was in china for a short while before i headed over to, to vietnam with evos and that was in 2018 when they went to msi and they went one one on one with both Fnatic and team liquid uh, after that i went over to europe or rather spain spain and germany with Spain, with my work in Spain being with the Spice Vipers and with the, the Mad Lions Academy team, as well as with uh, doing some position coaching for the main LEC team of Splice back then in 2019. And this year, I spent the first half of the year in Australia with Legacy. Uh, and the, the deal was that for me to go over for one split, set things up, and then uh, they'll run the show for, for, split, for, for split two in order for them to fit having an assistant coach on the budget. Right, and in the second half of the year, I went back into the what has been now rebranded into the PCS with a Singaporean team, uh, due to due to COVID constraints. So I was kind of forced back home to kind of run with a team there. What are some of the things that you've learned coaching in such a diverse set of teams and a diverse set of leagues? Like, is, are there really big differences coaching in different locations and different environments, maybe different cultures even? Yeah, definitely. I think that it, culture is definitely the big thing that stands out, right? The way that people handle conflict, the way that people uh, handle criticism, team identity, and all, and all these things. It's, I, there's just so much to cover when it comes to culture. People usually talk about things in terms of East, east and West, but even within uh, various parts of the East as well, there's also all sorts of varying cultures, right? I mean, in the East, it tends to be a much more collectivist culture of sorts, so there's a much stronger um, gravitation to a team identity, due to a, a, there being some, some for national pride, whereas over in the West, it's much more uh, 
it's it's slightly more individualistic, and particularly in Europe, is it was very interesting, right? Because in in effectively, what's the what's the EU? You have you have players coming from all over the world, right? We have I have players from Romania, I have players from uh, Norway, I have players from Denmark that does working with and, and Greek players. Uh, I'm sorry if I forgot anybody, right? French players. I, there's just so many. I, I I can't I can't list out everybody at this point <laughs> of time. Whereas um, in the in the Asian countries, you you just work with one group of people, and the LMS is what's about it. It's very that gets right. This is like you have people from Taiwan, and then you have the people from Hong Kong, right? And that's that's about as contrasting as it gets. So like even within navigating these spaces, due to the way that things that are brought uh, the upbringing was, there's various things that you could lean on to borrow persuasive power from and i think that this was a very a key mistake that i i made when i went over to china right because i just assumed that uh yes asian cultures are somewhat similar it's very um it's very education focused it's a lot about structure it's, it's a it's a confucian culture at the end of the day right so when i went over i went in there with i wanted to borrow the the elements of say a, a school or a a polytechnic or tertiary institution right so i went in there with a lecture tutorial homework kind of system and when i went in into china this proved to to be a mistake because some of these players they i i've made the mistake of not doing the groundwork first so i went in there and not to generalize that say to say that all players in in and the LSPL or LPL tend to be tend to be this way, but at least for myself, there were a few players who had very bad experiences in school. So when I use such a system and brought it over there, just from my experience in, in the LMS, having um, such elements work working much better, um, it it turned it turned them against me really quickly because it, it made me feel that they were their 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 teachers back from school that didn't really do them a big service in terms of trying to um, develop them as as individuals, right? Yeah. Sorry, lost lost my train of thought. And no, all of that, so. that's 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 <laughs> fascinating. So, were there other environments or other teams that you worked with where that more of a, like a lecturing and like top down kind of a style did work out more? Uh, wouldn't necessarily was a top-down kind of style, right? It was more of like a recreation of what I what I felt would would be able to borrow persuasive power in terms of implementing the the things that I was looking for. So uh, where it would have worked out more, I think I think if I were to go back and coach within Taiwan, that's something that I might look at doing, and that's something that I'm considering doing as well um, in with the academy team and the models. And I have to say, I'm borrowing some elements of, of that at this point of time, where we're in the preseason and we kind of want to start working, but it's a little bit difficult. Like I mentioned at the, at the start, at the top of the show, everybody's in a different place right now. I've got one player in Korea, I've got one player in, in Greece, I've got one player, uh, some players in Canada, some players in America, and I myself am in Singapore, right? There's just so many time zones and it's so hard to coordinate. So uh, having a more, much more freer system where I just address something at the top of the at the top of the day, and then give players a task and assignments to, to follow through on. So that's a slight adaptation, but not so much for a cultural aspect, but for practicality aspect. Yeah, okay, that's interesting. So I think you you mentioned you know certain things you've tried that haven't worked that well, and I know you did uh, a really interesting video breaking down kind of your some of your most recent coaching experiences and you know where things went wrong and what you learned from it. What are some of the things on the other side of that that you've considered some of your biggest successes, whether that's like a competitive success, I guess like going to work, uh, to, sorry, to MSI would be one of those, um, or, you know, a, a personal coaching success, something where you feel like you made a really big difference? Um, okay, I think you mentioned MSI, so we can kind of stop with that, right? Because Vietnam is, a, at least in 2018, when I went over, it was a, it was a very underdeveloped scene. Uh, the concept of infrastructure wasn't really in place. People weren't really sure how to, to run a team. In fact, 
the young generation story is something that I, I always tell people, right? Because it's basically five friends who met at land shop and then they went to roles together. Sorry, six friends, right? Because Ren, Ren was the coach who was also their friend. So there's before team houses. So in, in the West and uh, most of, of the world, people are talking about team houses, people are talking about training facilities, people are talking about nutrition, diet, sleep, and all these sort of things. In Vietnam, it's like, I love League of Legends. Let's play some League of Legends. And then they made it to the World Championship somehow over there, right? Uh, so when I went in, the Vietnam scene was very underdeveloped. So for me, it was a kind of a blank canvas implement what I felt was the right structures in, in place, right? So it was, it was very, it seems like very simple things now, but how, how do you prepare for a match in terms of band pick? How do you uh, suss up what your opponent's trying to do in terms of doing your scouting, be it in, in the band pick phase or breaking down what, what are the level ones that they're doing these days, which is commonplace nowadays, but it's just going in there and saying that this is how you, you, you work as a team, the concept of having one-on-ones with players instead of let's just uh, pack our schedule. Okay, we work six, six, six days a week. That means we do uh, two blocks of scrims every day. That means that we have uh, 12 blocks of scrims, right? To schedule time to do one-on-ones and do individual coaching and training with players, uh, introducing positional coaching ideas over there. And I think that um, that's, that's more on a structural point of view and on a tactical point of view was also helping them adapt at MSI itself to try and figure out and come up with winning strategies against their opponents, right? Because MSI is, after after my experience at MSI, I realized that how um, MSI is a very interesting tournament by itself. Because when you go to MSI, you're playing against the the top team from every region, right? So you can't you you can't really go there and say that okay, let's scrim. Um, a strong team for today and then let's scrim a weaker team for tomorrow especially yeah. from from vietnam right you are you're one of the weaker teams over there so we went in there um back then it was a unique scenario so we weren't playing in the group stage or the playing stage so we went late over to germany and we only had to play the best of five series so the only team that was willing to scrim us was uh flash wolves and that was the tournament where flash Wolves went on that incredible streak at the start of yeah. the tournament itself so we went like 0, 11, 0, 12 against them in scrims. It was, it was extremely, extremely demoralizing. So I, I had to come in and I had to show them, like, okay, this is what Supermassive is doing. And then at the same time, the players were hearing all these rumors. Yeah, Supermassive, they, they're going even with Flash Wolves. They're taking games off Flash Wolves. Okay, so doomed for us, right? But it was a much different approach to things for us because we're not, we're not playing to win scrims. We're playing to figure out, okay, what works for us? What, how do we adapt our play style? We won the VCS that split by just simply picking Azir, Sidwani, and Camille every single game. And then the body was esoteric and nobody banned those champions right and neither the team liquid apparently when we played against them um yeah. in, during the group stage itself so um so it's about trying to figure out okay how do we diversify our pool i do believe kaisa was added to the pool zoe zoe was a was a new champion at the point of time as well no wait zoe was in the meta for some time already right it's just a, a saw it's saw a buff or something so it, yeah it, so it had, had a sorts, right <laughs> yeah so it, it, it had a resurgence of sorts during during the msi but the idea was that kaisa was the was the big champion to, to play around the point of time and how do you um navigate around then the 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 Chinese team, so RNG, they went in there, but they were playing like Cockball and all these kind of things. So what were the answers? And it was a much more structured approach towards things. And I'm not sure if that was the reason why we were able to beat Supermassive, but uh, it was, we were losing every single scrim. So we came in and we said that, okay, this is this is how Supermassive plays. And at the end of the day, if we understand that these are the core fundamentals of how we should be approaching the game, which is attacking them through the weaknesses of uh, jungle and top, we should be able to win it, right? Because jungle and top were our strengths as mm-hmm. compared to trying to play what the meta was, which is mid, mid to bot back then to facilitate Varus to facilitate Kaisa. Yeah, no, that's that's really interesting. I think like knowing how to coach through scenarios like that where it's not really going your way and you don't you don't maybe don't know where your success is gonna come from. 
um, and, and still figuring out like, well, here's what we do and it'll give us the best chance to do it. I think there's, there's definitely always going to be a challenge in that. So you're coming into a scenario now where you, you have coached in kind of LEC and their development system. You've coached in VCS, PCS, and you're coming to North America. You're going to be coaching with Immortals Academy. Uh, how do you expect that or that's going to be different? Or maybe you've started to work with the players a little bit already. How do you think that approach might vary from what you've, you've seen before as you pick up kind of the, the personalities and culture of, of the, the team that you're working with now? I think the, the team that we have on the Academy roster for Immortals is a team that I'll be, I'm very happy to work with, right? This is a team that I spent countless nights just... I, I screwed up my entire sleep schedule just to just to have the chance to interview, to talk to all these players, uh, talk to the previous teammate and stuff, and re really figure out, right, like what's... And, and, do, and do a projection and profiling as to what we think uh, we can provide as staff to help them succeed in the future as well. So what are the differences that I'm expecting, right? Sorry, what are the, the differences that I'm expecting, right? Um, I think, firstly, that's that's this that's the caveat, right? That this is an academy team of sorts, and we can move into the semantics of uh, what academy means and why does this frame it in a very interesting interesting manner within any itself. Whereas in Europe, I was technically working with the with the Mad Lions, which is the Mad Lions Madrid, and I was working with uh, the Spice Vipers during my time over there. So there was also a tier two team of sorts, but over there we have the um, we have the we have the, uh, the EU Masters, leagues, yeah. right? Yeah, they've got ERLs to play for, right? So it's the Superliga Orange for the Spanish League that we were playing in. And then if you wanted, you would then qualify for EU Masters. And uh, the the shift between the... While the, the teams, they can substitute players between the main team and the, and the academy team, is a lot less heard of as compared to, to any, where I think like just, just last year, within the same org itself, right? Immortals, they just moved the whole uh, academy team into the main roster, and there's... Uh, so many stories of this happening, especially mm -hmm. towards the mid to lower table teams and things aren't working out, you would then look at the academy roster. And I think mm -hmm. this is something that uh, people have brought up as well as the challenge of running an academy roster in um, in NA, where if you're, you're doing well on the academy team, you will have your players plucked up from it and put onto yeah. the main team to to replace a weaker piece of sorts. Yeah, now, and Immortals that... specifically has a, quite a bit of history with that in the past couple of years. Yeah, precisely. Right. Players between academy and LCS, so... <laughs> So it's something that we we have to we have to have a high level of um, consistency between what we're doing on the on the main team and the academy team in order to to facilitate. So should this should we be looking at the academy team, which which is interesting, right? Because mm -hmm. like if if you say it's academy team, then you expect it more to 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 be like what they do in Europe, where you rarely see people uh, take players out from academy into the main team itself. Where what we see in NA is effectively. Um, this academy team is used more like a a, a reserve set, right? Mm -hmm. Which is also the 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 interesting thing comparison between esports and sports because in sports, like let's say you have a a football or or I think you guys call it soccer here, right? You have uh I think it's like thirty over players, thirty over players registered on the on the team roster, the thirty or thirty two something around that, right? And then you have eleven players who are playing on the pitch itself, of which uh you have four substitutes that are I think four to six substitutes that you have available yeah. directly on the bench within the matches. Itself. So you have this ability to rotate and there's a certain level of redundancy. So somebody is not performing well, somebody gets injured, or there's physical limitations because you have to travel between spaces for matches due to the tight schedules. There's always a certain level of redundancy within that. Within, within sports teams, whereas in esports, it's always okay. These are your five players, right? And very rarely you have a six man or you have a you have a substitute who's actually uh, rotating with with the rest of the team, or you have a substitute because somebody you have to reflect somebody that this is someone where we might need someone to step in for a certain points of yeah. time in the year, and then you have the academy team, which is so which 
fills in this purpose of redundancy, right? Which is not a true academy because it's it's like it's effectively what it is effectively a reserve squad in this case. Yeah, no, oh, sorry, that, I, I don't know. I don't know where I was going with that. Right? that but, it definitely makes a difference, though. Right? Like, it, I think like something that we could seize on a little bit there is if you're having to train the academy team in a way that you're always keeping in your mind, these players need to be ready to move up into the LCS team and you know sub in there if if it's needed, whether because they've earned it with their own play and we want to give them a shot, or the the player at the LCS level is maybe struggling a bit and needs to to come down for a bit and kind of regain some confidence, whatever it is. Then you need to be synchronizing your coaching style and like the systems you're teaching, like. Hey, what is this position's role in our communication system? What is this position's, you know, how how important is it to be able to roam versus stay in lane in certain timings, like even things like that, system to system. So is that something you've already been working with the LCS coaching staff on and like agreeing on your systems you're going to be using and all of that? Uh, it's a work in progress, definitely. I think it's a little bit too early to say that these are systems that we're moving forward with. You never know, there might be a patch. Uh, two months <laughs> yeah. from now, and then it, it says, okay, League of Legends is now a six-man team game, right? And uh, that's the nature <laughs> of playing any online game with a, with a two-week patch cycle. So that, that's something a challenge that we have to work with. And I Suddenly, think that uh, only the supports can copy and paste in chat. So any of your <laughs> mid laners who, do fla who, who uh, type flash timers, you're not allowed anymore. <laughs> oh, yikes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it is interesting, though, right? Like trying to figure out those systems. And I'm sure that's the thing that, that the next month or so is going to be a lot of feeling that out and seeing how it's going to land. Um, I think maybe this is a good time to talk a little bit about maybe be before we dive a little deeper in how you specifically how you coach and what kind of structures you like to use, Can I, who your actual team is and the players you're going to be working with, because I think that influences a lot of how you approach it, right? So, so the Academy roster you guys lined up with was uh, Tapoon. Potluck, Pretty, Keith, and Joey. So there, there are some names here people might be familiar with, some they might not be so familiar with. Maybe you could just give us a quick rundown of who these five players are, and I guess to whatever extent you had a role in actually selecting who joined the team. Maybe uh, give some insight there. Sure. Um, let's just start off by saying that I had a very active role, and uh, what Andre told me that this is my team, he gave some suggestions here and there, but at the end of the day, he gave me a broad stroke uh, requirement, is that we were looking for a high level of priority, and we were looking for, and we and, and the timeline, right, for, for development of sorts, which is what were the big criteria that we we're looking at when we were selecting these players. So the, the in terms of timeline, let's talk about having a two-year plan, right? Uh, within one year, we wanted whichever between the main team and the academy team, we needed to have exciting pieces that excited people to work with. And that's something that uh, people don't realize, right? When they when they always say that, okay, why don't we give more rookies a chance and, and stuff like that? Because at the end of the day, not only do we have to piece together a, a roster that's exciting for the fans to watch, during the process of piecing together a roster, it's also important for us to, to be able to excite players that we're trying to attract. So I yeah. think that it's kind of public information now that uh, Immortals, we have been quite publicly snubbed by some players that we were uh, so-called frontrunners to sign, right? And I think some for the LCS team, some for the academy side. So it, it's quite clear that what a packing order is, is that uh, there's always the hotter, prettier, sexier team that players would, would prefer to, to go with because they can tell them that, hey, look, we have these players, or at least they, they can go up there and say that, okay, hey, look, we are, we are in talks with these players and these players might be coming on board with us and you might be part of the package. So would you be, be interested in signing with us so that we can make this happen? Whereas for us, we weren't really in the position to sell them the the allure of playing with the likes of Perks yeah. or Sword Art or or Alfari, who are kind of like the, the marquee and big name, big ticket signings that was happening. Yeah, you know, this and, you, season, and right? you can see like pretty clear examples of teams having to make hard choices around that. If you look at another org, for example, like Dignitas, and they sold Johnson to FlyQuest, 
And one of the big, you know, I think that's one of the big stories there is they had one year left on Johnson's contract and they had to look at themselves and decide a year from now or over the next course of the year, are we going to be able to convince him to sign back with us again? Or is, you know, if we don't sell him now, is he just going to walk for nothing? Because we think we're not going to be able to convince him that we're the right place for him to be. And and so, you know, as an org, you don't want to set yourself up in that position where you're going to be losing your resources because they'd prefer to play somewhere else. So that, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So, so yeah, interesting to know that that was a factor in how you guys built out your academy team as well. So for, for us, uh, the appetite for risk was definitely a, a, a lot lower. And sorry, there's a third factor as well, which is that uh, because of how uncertain this entire year has been because of the uncertainties of COVID, even though there's a like, quarantine on the horizon, on the, in the immediate horizon right now, uh, we needed to be able to, to feel the roster that could play in the LCS immediately, right? So if visas were, to, were delayed, we, we needed between the academy roster and the main team, we needed uh, players to be able to play back yeah. then was by the second week of January. So there was another, that was the third factor that I was given in terms of piecing piecing this roster together right and Mike if you're if you're listening to this you're watching this if I say anything that I'm not supposed to uh <laughs> sorry <laughs> because more is coming <laughs> yeah cool so so the five players you've got again you got Tapoon, Potluck, Pretty, Keith, and Joey um give us the sales pitch on this why should we be really excited about these five as an academy roster get us hyped so so that's two ways to think about development, right? And I think people are are always setting a lower bar and like saying that we are trying to develop people to be LCS ready in academy. But here, there's a different perspective because of the of the way where we have to say that this is not just uh this is not just a a, a training school to develop uh young talent. It's effectively what doubles as a reserve squad in traditional sports, right? And these are my words. I can't I can't speak for for what um Andre Ogiloto sees, sees all of this as, right? So for for us, it's we are bringing pieces where I felt that they are one or two steps away, and I felt that uh, by doing the profile, sorry, let me just run you guys through the process. So when we were looking at each player, we did a, a, a physical profile. So this involves their age, uh, injury history, and um, where they are, if they're in port status and stuff like that. We did an in-game profile that looked at the, the eye test of how, how well they play in game, uh, what's the overall profile of this player, is this player more a, a team player, and how does he synergize with, say, a, an overarching structure that we want to play for? And then the third is we did a, a psychographic profile, right, which is my, my term for it, but I'm pretty sure I've used it wrongly here, where we examine uh, what the player's personality is like, and will he be a good culture fit for the team and what we're trying to do over here. So this was the thought process when we went in, into building this roster, and based on these factors, we did a, a two-year projection of sorts to figure out, okay, within one year, would they not only be LCS ready, uh, but would they have a good chance of being a championship contending piece, right? Mm -hmm. And this doesn't necessarily mean that this has to be a guy who's going to be uh, to be hyper-carried, right? He doesn't have to be a star piece on the team. But if you look at the the, the, the world championship, right? Players players on this team. Uh, Ghost is also a championship con contending piece of sorts, even though he's not the the, the key piece of Showmaker Canyon and, and Nuguri on Diamond Gaming. Mm -hmm. And the same can be said about uh, Huan Feng for the AD carry position on Suning as well. Not 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 the central piece. Angels the same story as well. So we're looking for at players who can not only just pull their weight, but will also be be assets within their lane. So mm -hmm. there's uh there's star carries, there's assets, and then there's like role fillers and serviceable players. So there's three tierings that we're looking at. So we're not only looking at uh, how can we have uh, LCS ready players, but we're looking at how can we have uh, people who are assets in their position, who will be assets in their position by the end of 2021. Because that's, that's, that was what the, the criteria we were looking at. So um, to start going off the, the names, right? So Topun, he 
or has already played a role. So I think that mm -hmm. he's uh, the, usually the 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 where people err on the side of caution when they approach uh, imports from Korea in general, which unfortunately Topun is, despite having played his entire career in Oceania, mm -hmm. is yeah. that uh, he has already played his entire career in Oceania, right? So. Um, I, I can't actually tell the story in the PG rated stream, but he he swears in English rather than in Korean, right? So instead of hearing the usual usual Korean swears, uh, he he would actually say say the C words and stuff like that, which uh, I'm not sure I'm, I'm selling him in the best picture right now. But that's a but that to me is the testament of his adaptability to its uh, English speaking culture, as compared to some of the the Korean imports in the past who have had a uh, difficulty navigating cultures, right? And he has played his entire career in Oceania. He's friends with many of the, the, the member players who came over in the end of 2019. And obviously he was in Legacy that, that I coached this year. And all five Legacy players actually will be in NA for next year as well. Mm -hmm. So as to the testament of his strength, which is he's already played a role. We saw him, his learning phase was, was decent. And uh, I actually felt that he wasn't able to showcase the, the full range and the, the true capability of his abilities and roles, right? So he had decent performance over there. And there, there was some errors here and there, especially the first game against INTZ, because apparently he has some setting issues with his keyboards and with his keyboard and, and stuff. But I, I, when, when we watched it, it was consistent. And this is a player that despite uh, having to play away from the, from the Asian service, which is usually another very big factor in these coherent parts being able to maintain the level of skill. He's somebody who has been able to play in Oceania, which is a much weaker solo queue environment. Yeah. Not to flame them, but of course, compared to Korea, everything else is a much weaker yeah. solo queue environment. Uh, he has been able to maintain a very strong, strong level of play, right? Okay, so that's, that's stop. Now, Potluck and Jungle is somebody that you guys have retained from, from 2020 uh, and, and seemed like he was developing fairly well across the year. So, um, what what's exciting about Pollock? What are you looking forward to with him? I think Pollock was was the was the one piece that was smash made for me, right? Because I I believe that Pollock was announced before it was announced, and Pollock was was there before I I joined the team. And uh, what I was told by Mark Clips is that he brought me on because he felt that I was somebody who, who he he seemed to work on Spice Vipers, and he said that I was somebody who brought a lot of structure, was able to boil things down to the core principles and basic fundamentals for players to then transform into their own and build and build upon, right? After giving him a solid foundation. And he, he told me that Potluck would be a very good match for my coaching style. And the way that I've interact, interacted with him as well, this is the guy who shares with a lot of the core beliefs and core principles that I have when it comes to uh, players that I enjoy working with. And I think that players that, that can succeed as well as in, in terms of the, how deliberate, how, how self-aware and how system-oriented oriented he is, right? He's somebody who, who places a lot of effort into the out-game aspects as much as he places into the in-game aspects. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I was very pleasantly surprised to know that the really in, in terms of like the good habits, good learning habits, he has got quite a, quite a fair fair bit of it. So Pollock was, would, I was thought that he would be a very good fit for my coaching methodology. And from what I've seen so far, it definitely is adding up, right? The emphasis on quality instead of emphasis on quantity and the, the high focus on, on making sure that there's a holistic approach to self-improvement rather than let's just play lots of solo queue and let's just try to... Yeah. get good at only the, the in-game aspects of League of Legends because there's four there's four big domains when it comes to self-improvement, right? There's the in-game knowledge domain, there's the relationships and dynamics domain, there's the out-game performance domain, and then there's the systems domain of it. And he's somebody who is aware of these various domains and is actively working to improve himself in these areas. Yeah, cool. No, that, that sounds... Uh, it's it's always very important for these for these younger players especially to be able to approach things systematically and, and be like self-reflective and understand here are the right ways to improve and not just go out there and hope it works and kind of spam a bunch of games kind of thing. Um, Pretty as a player, I don't know a whole lot about. Uh, what can you tell us about him? 
So Pretty is uh, he's one of the top players in the ERLs, right? And I think that this is where a lot of this narrative about okay, we gotta find new, exciting, and young and fresh talent. I think does some disservices, and I think it's also the 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 way that he plays, or rather his his uh his preference right so pretty is when when i worked with him on on the mad lines we characterize him as this is okay. this is a a, a a don't be style of player right mm. but you look at him and he's not gonna be he's he's still a strong laner right like don't be is still a strong laner right it's just that people give him flag for not being the, the best laner as compared to rookie but if you have to rank people in terms of like who's the best laner in in, in china people do um rookie number one and then somewhere down the line then you're doing right? but there's yeah. all these intangibles that you bring to the table and this stuff understanding of the game that he also brings to the table as well so pretty at the end of 2019 he kind of like fit the category and i think that that's a, that's a that's something that could be more underappreciated of course i can't speak for the european coaching and scouting stuff right but this is just my my gut feel on it and this is something that where when we were still looking at his his performances on on giants and from what i heard as well from insiders over there so he's somebody who's actively able to to shot call and coordinate plans and it's somebody who's very in deal with what i call the modern day league of legends macro mm -hmm. which is a, which is a which is a topic that takes quite a fair bit of time to learn so having really be able as someone who who already understands that i think it's very it's a very very valuable asset especially when working in in any who who um which is which is a region that i think uh is a little bit lacking in yeah, this area in that mid lane area, that that kind of dynamic. I think it, we've come a long way since the since the days of kind of the classic frog and video. I don't understand why High goes roaming and gives up all the CS to to go get a kill that's not worth as much gold in the silence. Kind of like like we've come a very very long way since then, um, in understanding what it means to play the map, to play outside of your lane and things. So yeah, I absolutely agree that it's that's important to get in players, especially mid laners, who understand that well. Um, going into the bottom lane, we've got Keith and Joey, two names that are relatively familiar, being around kind of in the NA scene, in and out for a while and various kind of levels of it. What would you say to people who might look at players like that and say, I don't understand why they're in academy, you know, they they might be past their peak or, or maybe they're already at their peak and don't have anywhere to improve from here. Like, how do you approach that kind of feedback or that kind of perspective? Well, I mean, I've kind of given my my calculus, right, as to what the the approach to us of this was at the end of the day we are not here to to give into reddit narratives and in that case uh, you know what just give reddit my job instead right and then let, let reddit narratives like, okay what's trending let's use our social listening tools to determine what's popular in terms of building an academy team today um, young players who is 17 years old and that can be their primary scouting criteria instead but uh, okay let's let's talk about um so when it comes to like working with players who have had tenure, right? And and this is where I also lean into to my strengths and my ability to work with players in the past. Uh, most of the time I've worked with players who have already had some some period already developing in the space. And I'm coming in and I'm saying that that and I can I, I sorry and I can identify that these are the one or two steps or one or two two aspects that they that they are they are lacking at this point of time, and I either help them find band aids uh, around that, or help them uh, feel that in, in terms of like individual coaching as well. So this is where I've been able to get a, get quite a fair bit of value out of players who have had some time in the scene in itself, because you have to understand that when it comes to developing players, right, it's not opening a gacha box and it's like, yep, um, let's click on this player. It's like playing playing those gacha games, right? You click it, you you start it, and then the box opens in one hour and stuff like that. It's a very active process of working together with them and trying to figure things out. Uh, over here in Asia, most of the time players spend about one split in as a trainee and about one full year to develop as to where they are, right? You, you look at Bin, who was like the breakout rookie 
um, at, at Worlds this year. Uh, he spent one entire year on the, the Suning uh, Academy team, and I'm not sure if he spent more time as a trainee over there as well in, in China when he was even younger than that. And then he had to spend uh, half a year where the, the team was kind of like floundering around. And, had, and, and when we went into Worlds, uh, he was a strong player, but you still wouldn't say that this is a complete player, right? Like Arn is still missing from the champion pool. He did play one game of Arn, but the way that he was building, the way that he was playing the champion, it was clear that this is not a champion that he has a lot of um, understanding of at this point of time, right? Mm-hmm. So, so when we look at the development processes, and do the question is, uh, at which stage of the of the development process are we looking to pick players up in? And even then, it doesn't mean that after one and a half years, then the players cap out, right? It doesn't mean that they yeah. cap out and then that's it. So, so when it comes to like players who have had some time in the scene, we can look at it, right? It's not like Keith has just been playing AD carry in the North American scene for like seven years now, and he's always like just 500 LP challenger. It's like mm-hmm. not impressive, not terrible, and he's always like coasting through things. Uh, he's made final of academy he's consistently top of the ladder in in the any in any itself and uh he's when he went to korea and boot camp twice although i know it is the off season in korea when they went over the boot camp he made challenger on ad carry and he was close to challenger playing support as well and being able to do to do that on two different roles i think it's a testament to his ability his mechanical ability right and if you're looking at, a, at an at an ad carry mechanical ability is definitely the most uh one of the most important factors for it so the, there was a very strong argument for for us when we look at Keith, despite him having had this much time in the scene. And um, you can't have it both ways, right? You can't say that players are kept on, you can't criticize any staff for having poor, poor development in the past. And and I'm not I'm not going to say that it has to be one or, or the other, but rather this is my confidence and my ability to, as someone who has consistently worked with these players, where we can say that these are the one or two key key factors, right? And in this case, if we say that it's a consistency with, with Keith, then this is what I'm going to be trying to help him to provide him so that he can not only just be LCS ready, I would say that Keith is really kind of like uh, at, at its base level, he is already an LCS ready prospect, but he's somebody who can be an asset moving at, moving into the rest of the year and by the end of 2021, right? Sure. Yeah. And, and, and what about with Joey then, a player who has been a little more kind of in and out of the scene, right? And has dropped below the academy level at times and, and was, uh, you know, earning his way back into the scene, right? Like, um, is that somewhere where you kind of look at the curve they've gone through at the level they've been playing at and say like, you know, this guy's been here before, but he's on the upswing again. We're going to try to like unlock a higher level for him. Like how, how do you uh, approach a player like him? Yeah, I think that he's, you could say that he's on the upswing, right? And I think that when it, when it came to scouting grounds, there's a few players that caught my eye. Uh, I think it's, once again, public information. Tony Top was the person that we first picked in the draft. So Tony Top was the standout player at scouting grounds for us. But uh, it was actually kind of a surprise to us that, that Joey didn't get drafted, despite winning the event with the motion. And he had, he had actually some very interesting... Um, Sorry, I forgot what I was going to say. He had some very interesting scenarios, right? Where he was blind picking Lulu and having the confidence to do that at Scouting Grounds. Now, now definitely Scouting Grounds is a much lower level of play as compared to, to, to the likes of, of the LCS or even say, uh, the, the Academy scene in general. But uh, uh, to, to see a player be willing to do that, be able to execute, and through the, the player interview with him and being able to listen and watch his comms, once again, it, it ticked off a lot of the boxes when it came to doing the eye test and says that, and this is just me saying that, uh, uh, I have confidence that I should be able to do develop this player as well into an asset, right? Because he he's communicative. He his mechanics and hands for the game are not, are not bad as well. He's not like completely missing skill shots and and he has a decent understanding of how how to play to, to play lane matchups. It's just about providing the framework in which he can develop mm-hmm. the understanding further. How important is it when you have a a, a 
pair of players like that, and I'd say across your roster in general, there's there's a decent amount of experience uh, across this roster. When you have an academy team and you're trying to develop all these players, how important is it to have like these veteran players who can act as leaders or mentors or, or kind of examples of how to be a pro? How does that play into uh, a, a team and the way you set it up? Um, so I think that the veteran dynamic is one that I, I don't really subscribe to, right? At the, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, it's, it's, it's my job as a coach to provide that development and leadership for them and to provide the environment for in-game leadership, right? To provide the right structures and environment for in-game leadership as well. So in fact, that are people always say that, yes, you, we should be, there always has to be this mix of rookies and veterans for, for the veterans to be the, the, the big voice in the team, but that isn't necessarily always going to be the case, right? If, if you were to ask me, I, I would, I would always prefer that the jungler and support be the ones to, to do it and in this case if it means that if it's a younger player doing it i think that especially also the east where things are less dogmatic in terms of like the you have to respect a certain seniority to certain mm -hmm. things as well it just makes more sense to have a jungler and support be the main callers in the team and be able to coordinate things especially given the systems that i, I do teach teams in general as well so yeah, um, when it comes to like having veteran leadership, yes, that's definitely very, very, very valuable, right? Like I mentioned earlier, like Pretty is someone who understands really how, who understands much better how to play, play the modern game of League of Legends as compared to what you can see, what you see uh, a lot of people subscribe to, where it's about picking the scaling mages and then getting to two items and then and, and then team fighting around them as a, as a core carry as a, as a so the mid lane today is a, as a, is a secondary resource that the team can use on top of the on top of the jungler to make plays happen to then enable your game plan be it mm -hmm. be it stacking drakes or breaking one of the silent darts so that you can then enable a way to attack the rest of the map yeah so i i think you can talk about the the in-game leadership on this and i and i understand where you're coming from there and you know not necessarily needing the veterans to be the shot callers or things like that and you know who's making the the decisions or, or kind of leading the choices in game um when we speak about leadership outside the game though right we're talking about uh how do you handle a loss how do you handle a win how do you deal with kind of communication and and like the players giving each other feedback or helping each other receive feedback from the coach things like that like like kind of the example of how to be a player in a pro scene outside of the actual in-game actions. Um, how does how does their level of former experience uh, as a pro kind of play into that? And is that something where you see that, that you agree that you usually want to have one or two of these players who have been around for a while and kind of know what it's like to work in this pro team environment? Um, so like, like, again, just speaking specifically in the kind of the outer game aspects of this. Sure. Uh, I think it's, it's not it's not a must, but rather it gives you more tools to work with, right? So uh, that's that's a lot of power in storytelling. So when you, you get players to share the stories, to share the experiences, and sometimes you, I don't have to get them to do it, right? If if they already have such experiences, they have seen similar things before. Uh, most of our time, players will speak up, and and through these stories, it, it actually forms quite a compelling uh, argument to to either rally the team in one direction, or sometimes it actually can move the team in the wrong directions as well. So there 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 is aspects of it that you have to manage. It's just a question of um, what you're getting with the player, uh, what their experiences are, right? So this is one of the factors that we had as well when we're interviewing with, with these players. Like, is there going to be lots of bad habits and bad experiences that we have to be watching out for and that we have to help them unlearn some of these things if we are going mm -hmm. to be trying to, to develop them as veterans as well? And I think that this is where, uh, I wouldn't say it's capped, right? But it's a different approach towards certain things as well. So when it comes to like, like if they learned the wrong macro systems and under a certain coach, like when I was working in... Um, Taiwan, I, I had one of the players to tell me that, oh, we are supposed to ward first before you push out the waves, right? Which is the, the wrong order of things. Because you always push out the yeah. waves first, you, you open, answer the wave first, and then you go and ward. But what he was taught previously was that his coach told him that you always have to ward first so that you then would know 
uh, it would be safe to push out the wave. Mm. So this is this is something that it, it had been ingrained to him for one year already, for over one year. So as a as a, he was a jungler, right? So as a jungler, he was doing this, he was doing this, and I and I had to help him unlearn this bad habit and then relearn the new habits. Yeah, of no, waiting for the sense. team, coordinating, linking up with your support, and then pushing together to cover for your AD carry to push out the wave, and then moving together as a unit to, to establish the wards. So right. there's certain aspects of these like um, things that you have that you might have to work with as well, right? And those are in-game example for all game examples as well. They might have come from a very toxic team, and there's something that uh, I talked about in my time working with with uh, the, the the PCS team this year, right? Because they they had. They were effectively first time playing in, in a professional full-time environment. And before that, there was always big fish, small pond syndrome, where it was about uh, if you wanted to be uh, playing on the top team in Singapore, where there was a fair bit of financial incentive to, to be in, it's it's entirely player run, right? So it's all about community narrative. It's all about it's entirely player run. So mm-hmm. when somebody is foolish enough to step up and say, okay, sorry, guys, I think that this series we lost because it was my fault. I could have done these things better. Oh, convenience game got under the bus you go and guess who's not on the top team next year uh making yeah. that sizable amount of uh cash winnings right yeah. so for for them to ingrain a very negative sense where uh showing weakness was not good right confrontation was bad because they they knew that these behaviors were bad but they weren't able to address it in a very direct manner so when it came to like receiving criticism they always would um take things very personally they would always try to deflect things off off to somebody else and uh, even as something as simple as like the as as a coach, my question is always going to be, how can we do this better? And they never got to that. It's always about, oh, there's a problem here, and they just and they would just be so fixated because of their past experiences on, okay, who should I be blaming now? Or, or rather, or rather, if it really was their fault, then they would be so caught up in the pain of the emotion within the moment. So that's something that you, you have to watch out for as well. Like yeah, you have players yeah. who have in quote quote unquote baggage, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so you're gonna have players who come in with. Sometimes they have good good examples to model after after having been around a while. Sometimes they have bad examples to model, and yeah, I'm sure it, it, it's interesting to kind of parse through all of that. So let's let's get into the weeds a little more together. Let's um let's talk about your approach to coaching some of these things. And I think we've heard a little bit about the way you might explain a macro concept to a player, or or things like that, or uh, you know whatever else that is. Um, what are some of the things that you expect, you know, with, with the players that you're going to be working with? What kinds of things do they need to learn? What level do you end up coaching them at first? Are you teaching them how to how to play out certain matchups? Are you teaching them macro, macro concepts like, hey, push the waves before you ward? Um, are you teaching them certain communication systems? What level do you usually see these guys come in at? So... Um, as to the level that we're coming in yet, we haven't had a chance to do a pro- proper diagnostic as to figure out where we are at, at yet, right? So the first thing I do with every team that I have the chance to join is that we spend uh, three to four weeks where we would just learn. So the way I modeled the game of League of Legends, so some people model around the number of lanes you play on. I, I model it based on the, the style of team fight, right? So that's all in team fightings where you want to play for neutral objectives. There's a pick and pick and disengage, which is a lot more similar to the way that G2 has been playing, a lot very similar to the way that Flash was playing, where you play actively on two lanes and you collapse with manpower advantages to off two lanes to, to create picks and take objectives. And then there's the, the kite, kite and re-engage, right? Which is uh, Gen G, right? They, they play Astro, they play Yumi, they players here and what do they do wrestling sleeper 30 minutes three items yep yumi's online as just online as online right so that, that's kind of three ways to play the game and uh and then I, I would run a diagnostic with this team to see how proficient they are at each of these things and because this is academy this is a, a there, there is an aspect of development so we have to spend some time like learning each of the styles so that even if they're weak in one style they are able to pick that up to a service level 
to, to a servicer level first, and then we talk about specialization into one particular trend, right? And as to what direction that goes with, uh, this is where the, the, the dynamic comes in, where it's not my, my job to determine what the direction is, and something that we will have to look to do to the LCS team to say that this is the direction that they want to move with. And of course, we have to reflect that in the way they were mm -hmm. practicing and trading as well, so that we are ready to go if, uh, if, if need be, right? Sorry, I, um, your question was, how do I, how do I teach players, was it? Yeah, I mean, generally just speaking about that, and I think different levels of it. So I think what, you're, what you've been describing here is, you know, kind of macro approaches to the game, like understanding, basically understanding win conditions, right? We have this style of team comp, and it wins when we play out, you know, when we position ourselves in the map here, when we go for these kinds of engages, whatever it is. You know, so that's one level that you can coach the players at, teaching them teaching them how a team comp works and how to build the right kind of team comp and how to use that team comp once you have it. Um, but I, you know, I guess also understanding how you teach other things like, like more micro oriented, like matchup knowledge kinds of things, like teaching them a communication system, who's responsible for communicating what things, you know, um, how you kind of, what, what, the, maybe a little bit about what the hierarchy is of teaching those things. As to which is the most important, is it? Sure. Um, hmm. I, I would usually start with, with identifying win conditions, right? So the, the styles of macro for gameplay, then based on that, I'll probably move on to, uh, it has to be a two-pronged approach, right? Because you have to be fixing laning at the same time. So for, for us, we have a certain level of positional coaching that we will be implementing on our side. So Malaclips is somebody who's who's known for for having lots, for knowing the top lane very well. And Ivan, somebody who has worked, uh, so when we were both working on Spice, he handled the top lane, I handled the bot lane. And we will be bringing somebody to handle the jungle as well. Or I might be moving over to, to handle the jungle for, for this year. Depending on what the what the what night shares preferences, right? Be handling yeah. mid jungle or the handling handling bot lane. So there's a certain level of positional coaching that will be working in all of this and there being like a two pronged approach of sorts. And this is similar to what I did. I'm not sure if you had the chance to sit in when I was uh, running reviews for scouting grounds, right? Where you have a team review and then you cover the big points for team points, and then you have individual reviews that cover individual things. So uh, at this point of time, yes, we are we are we are not scrimming at this point of time. So it's about developing how can we start learning things in this preseason without uh, having the opportunity to scrim then it's more macro focus it's more focus on like the bigger aspects of things it's focus on like developing small habits like when i, I if i have the chance to to watch and disturb joey white play so okay, i'll just be there it's like like time your timers like this guy flash time the timer right yeah and um there's also then i let i, I run lectures and lessons of that to focus to on like like we did a vault review earlier today, where it focuses on like the macro aspects of how to play a specific dragon setup, right? We're, we're watching um, some of the games from Worlds. They say this is what the meta is like, and this is how you can play in this specific scenario. So I wouldn't really say there's a hierarchy, because a lot of these sort of things is like a needs-based thing. So sometimes I, I have a big syllabus at the start of the day, which is learn, okay, week one, we learn uh, all in team fighting, right? We play the stack tricks. Then as to what are the details, what's the short calling, how do you communicate within that, then we problem solve and tackle based on what's already lacking. Especially for uh, this team, there's going to be a really a, a predetermined understanding of how these players want to be approaching the game. So there's going to be some level of um, de-conflicting ideas as well mm -hmm. within yeah, that. No, that makes sense. Uh, when you're specifically talking about developing players, um, how much do you go in and say here is you know like the 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 textbook approach i guess basically like here are the diff different chapters of things that i want you to know and we're going to go through each of them make sure that you are strong in each of these areas versus 
getting to know the player and what they already understand and just like filling in gaps and, and trying to like identify strengths and weaknesses and work with those. Like, do you usually come in more with a, a pre-existing idea of what they need to know or more with let's start with them and then work on top of what they already have? So there has to be a pre-existing prescription of sorts so that you can bring everybody onto the same page, right? And this is a, the famous story that I tell when we were running the, the Deadman. We, we ran a Deadman roster on, on the Mad Lions, right? Because mm -hmm. they merged with the Spice Vipers at a point of time. So we had two academy teams merging into one. And mm -hmm. what happened was that um, uh, it, it was it was their call for management side to run it as Team A and Team B. So uh, it wasn't a true Deadman roster. And then it got mm -hmm. Team A competing as Team B. And Team A was coached by, by Alvar. Team B was coached by myself. So it... Create a scenario where uh, some of these players would get coaching from from Peter as well because they approach things they uh, they approach they approach him for lessons and stuff. So we would learn. There was this concept called the the there was this term called the fast rotation, right? Mm -hmm. I call it fast rotation. For me, it was a very specific uh, thing that you did in the early game, which was uh, the, where the mid laner would drop the mid lane wave, let the jungler pick it up, and he would rotate bot to dive to dive bot, right? So if like you're like LeBlanc, you hit your level six spike, you have ultimate available, bot lane's level four still, you just drop the mid lane wave, you walk bot, and you pick up six hundred gold for yourself, and then the jungler will, will pick up the the mid lane wave, and that was my idea of of, of a fast rotation, right? Mm -hmm. And then there was a there, there was uh, different ideas of what a fast rotation was. Was it was it the way that you rotated between the lanes, like where you skip vision, so it was therefore a fast rotation, or was it the the setup that G2 does where you play off two lanes and then you collapse on one side of the map and does a mm -hmm. fast rotation? So it came to a point where after we merged back the two teams for for the playoffs for for the SL itself, uh, nobody knew what fast rotation meant yeah. anymore. You're using the same terminology to mean different things, and now what? Right. So. It's about making sure that when we have a player at, at, at the start of things, there has to be some level of prescription, right? To say that this is this is the terms, this is uh, what's going to be happening so that people get on the same page. Then from there, they can take things and then we can fill in gaps gaps accordingly. So there has to be a, a base level to say that this is the systems that I expect. This is how I want us to, to think about the game, right? So if the players are going to be working with me, for me, is I model, I model the game by what is the approach to us team fighting, yeah. right? As compared to what, what lanes we are playing on. Right. So if if they're working with me, then we will be thinking about the game in terms of okay, this is we look at the compositions at the start, and then the analysis will start with uh, who outscales, what kind of team fight are we looking for, and then th the rest of the flowchart would then come into play. And how they want to take the flowchart would then be up to them. But it always has to start yeah. with what's the team fight mode, and then be structured the game around that accordingly. Okay, cool. That yeah, that's that's pretty interesting. Um, and I'm sure people want to learn a little more about kind of specific ways that you coach or the way you would teach some of these concepts. Again, you've got some some YouTube videos up and and, and things like that. People can learn a lot more about that. Um, so looking ahead to 2021 and the team that you have, and I think you've uh, you've referred to this a little bit, but maybe just to kind of wrap it up a little more cleanly, what would what would you consider as success for your team and for the players that you're working with uh, over the course of of 2021? Well, I mean, the, the the simplest way to do it, and, and the, this is going to be like, a, a, hmm. Actually, this is this is kind of difficult to answer, right? Because it's a it's a very unique and interesting perspective. Like I said, the, the style of things was the goal. The goal for us is to to develop an exciting set of players that people at the end of the day would be excited to work with, right? Mm -hmm. So being from the academy side, and we can say that yeah, uh, Topun assembly that people will be excited to work with. Then for the LCS side, I think, but that uh, there's there's players there. Um, mm -hmm. Sorry, I lost my train of thought. Right, but just for just for the academy side, right, uh, is to have players that to say that these are players that people will be excited to work with, 
in the future so that they can put up performances people can look at it and say that yeah these are assets these wouldn't just be lcs ready players these would be assets to teams so they'll, they'll be able to, to put up strong performances they will do more than just serve their role in terms of uh executing the strategy that that's placed before them i think that's that, that's what success is looking like for us and, and what about for yourself yeah what about yourself personally by the end of 2021 like what do you want to have achieved for yourself and like who you are as a coach maybe even who you are as a person over the next year Hmm. What do I want to achieve for myself now? This is this is one of those very deep philosophical questions, right? Like, who are you? No, who are you really? I think it's, it's, it's like a it's like a proof of concept, right? Like for myself, this is this is the first time that I'm actually getting to continue my work with some of the players that I've worked with in the past. I've, I've most of the time I come in, I'm I'm there to solve problems, give players a uh, turn thing turn teams around the, in the immediate future, or I'm there as a more secondary consulting, consulting kind of like advisory advisory role, right? This is the first time I'm coming in, I'm getting to continue my work with some of the players that I worked with before. This is the first time I, I've actually gotten to scout players and say that this is the type of players that I would like to do develop. So for me, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's kind of like a proof of concept as well to, to show that what I have works, not just at a, not just at a, okay, we have these problems and let's bring Jensen in to solve them kind of thing, hmm. right? I think cool. that definitely be able to to hit hit the team hitting the team metrics is going to be be my metrics as well to show to show that sure. I when it comes to developing players. So I, I haven't had the chance to really talk about my my method of like developing players individually, right? I've kind of like talked about like the strategic aspects of things, but um yeah to to be able to show that I can develop players on on an on an individual level even in 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 the West if over a longer period of time is something that would look like successfully because this would be me challenging existing notions about what development is like and it's me showing that my my lived experiences do add up right and i'm not just constantly being gaslighted right yeah i mean and if you have some more things you want to say about your approach to developing players like go for it this you you've got the floor and you've got some time here sure uh i i i don't i think i kind of like mentioned some of it like looking what the profile is like, doing a projection, and then working with them on a day-to-day basis. There has to be some level of individual coaching involved. One-on-ones are going to be be a big part of it, knowing the, the four domains like knowledge, making sure that the, the all-game performance aspects are accounted for as well. Um, it's easier if you ask questions. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Yeah, I think, we, I think we've covered a lot of that. And again, if, if there are certain angles that, that people have uh, specific questions about, um, hit Jensen up on Twitter and stuff. Sure, and I'm sure he'd be happy to talk about it some more. Um, to kind of bring us to the finish line here, uh, we'll take some some listener questions. So we've got one that was submitted, and uh, in, in, you know, typically in advance, I I put up a post on Patreon a couple days in advance, so you uh, you can always go to Patreon.com/slash/OracleZelixir um, and submit questions there. And we've got one from Space Alpaca, uh, who says, with with both Immortals rosters having so many rookies, is the plan to rotate them and and give multiple rookies LCS experience? And does that even work in a game that is so dependent on team synergy? Well, I cannot directly answer the question, right? But but there is there is always a possibility, right? Like like there's always a possibility of anything happening. And um, I think that this was answered earlier in, the, in in the show where we talked about there being a high level of coordination between the, the main team and the academy team, so that if if need be, such such a such a rotation can happen. But I wouldn't say it's not my position to say if that's the plan. It's just that. 
um, I think there's there's something that I can I can add on to that, right? That my 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 primary goal here is to be in charge of developing players and helping players solve problems, right? But when it comes to the big picture strategic aspect of what's going to be happening for Immortals in terms of like the strategy they're playing, the players they're, they're using, then that's uh, the the call of Giloto to make. Sure. Yeah. No. That that you know I, I think preparing for that as a possibility is something you probably always want to be doing. But there's a difference between that and coming in and saying we intentionally know that we are going to be, uh, you know, swapping players up and down over the course of the year. I think there there have been a few teams in the LCS in the past who have made that an explicit like intention that we do expect like we're treating this kind of as a ten man roster in any given week. We do think that we you know have the option to move the players up and down. I think most of the time you're not going to have teams coming in and saying that we're going to do that. And and there are some downsides to to making that your clear intention, right? Like you i think people talk about having the the academy players push the lcs players and you know threaten their jobs that they feel like they have to work harder right but there that can come with downsides where maybe the security and i think it probably depends on the individual person the individual player whether the security is more valuable to helping you be confident versus the push um of helping you feel the need to work harder right and, I, and i'm sure that and maybe you can support whether you you feel the same way about that but i'm sure it depends mostly on the individuals involved right I think there's advantages and disadvantages to having such a clear level of parity right, between the academy, uh, between the second and then the, the, the first team, right? When you have a high level of parity, it means that practice, intra-team practice becomes very valuable. And I think that in a region like any, where your scrim uh, partners are very limited and you always have to be worried about uh, concerned with the quality of scrim practice uh, or your the security of your, your scrim information as well. Um, not to say that people leak it, right? But you have only that limited number of people and you don't really know who you're going to be facing at, at, at any point of time. So if you want to practice like specific strategies and you know and you want to be 100% sure that these things don't get out there, then uh, having a strong roster parity gives you very strong training partners, gives you strategic flexibility in terms of preparation as well. Right. Mm -hmm. So those are some of the upsides. Cool. So Genesis wants to know, uh, how do you approach academy matches in the sense of, is it acceptable, acceptable to play to improve like you might in scrims? Or should in, at the academy level, are you always playing to win? Is that always the number one priority? Uh, you are always playing to win, right? But I, I do believe here the question is, uh, do you, like, say, say, let's say, I think at academy level, uh, playing, playing a scaling way is the easiest way to win, right? But it doesn't mean that if I'm picking Renekton, it doesn't mean that I'm playing to lose. But that's a higher, higher bar of execution that that you're looking for, right? So um, would it be that we just pick Azir, Yumi, and Astro every single game? I don't think we will, we will be doing that unless it's an interesting angle for us to work with. But like I said, there's, there's three aspects of the game that we're trying trying to develop. And I think that we will want to showcase a wide variety of things to enable players to, to, to get experience, like taking on various roles. Um, be it as, as the anchor point, be it as the, the, the focal point, and show strategic depth as well uh, across the board in Academy itself. So I, I would say that it's not just playing, playing to improve, right? It's more of like playing, playing to showcase what we've got. Playing, playing to improve is for scrims. For, for stage, it's playing to win, and at the same time, showcasing what you've got. But, and in between that, that's the balance of that like, okay, let's, I mean, like picking, picking the scaling composition will tend to do the higher win rate, especially at a lower level of play, because you have a much wider margin for error. But I, mm -hmm. I, I not, I'm not a fan of doing that, especially at, a, at the academy level. Sure. Uh, and I think the the last one we'll take uh, for for now is uh, from OPTSM fan. Um, are there any drills that you've come across that that help you get your concepts across or help your players improve? 
drills that I come across that help my players get concepts, right? It's more of like VOD um, reviews, like taking out steals from certain games and then uh, or, or pausing the game at a certain point and replaying it and then getting them to go through the communications as to what's happening over here. Right? I wouldn't say that there's a specific drill like you have in sports where you start, start the day off like, with a set of drills, like you have to jump, like do the rope ladder and, and that kind of stuff. Uh, I'm not sure if I get the question completely. Yeah, I right, guess cause... like there, because there isn't really the opportunity to set up a drill in in League of Legends, yep. right? You can't set up a physical scenario and then play it out over and over and over again. Um, you can so do I guess... blitz scrims, right? You can do blitz scrims, right? Like, yeah, to which some is extent. something that we have done in the past. Like, if you're practicing a very specific level once, or you're practicing very specific scenarios, like let's say that uh, we want to work on. Uh, ways that we can s double crap the opponent, right? So this is a jungle-centric meta, and we are just trying to work on securing double crap for for our jungler. And we're going to draft like pushing lanes and how what are the things that we can do to either attack the opponent level one. And I'm not sure if that counts as a drill or if that counts as like blitz screams, right? So yeah. it's always blitz scream a form of drill in itself. Yeah, but and so I guess maybe to extend the question a little bit, then so I think there are there are certain coaching tools that are pretty common, and and maybe if there's anything that we go beyond this, so you have obviously scrims, you play out you know full games against uh, an opponent, um, you have vod review where you watch your own games or someone else's games and you talk through them and, and kind of highlight certain moments and and try to learn from what you're seeing on the screen. Um, and you know what are a couple of other techniques that you use? Uh, I guess you also mentioned lectures, like like bringing somebody through a presentation or something like that, and saying, "Here's a concept, and we're going to teach it." You know, like you would at school. Um, are there any kind of uh, techniques beyond that 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 coaches should be paying attention to, or asp aspiring coaches? I, I actually do have one, right? I think that this comes close to being a drill, right? Where I do a vision, I, I do a visualization exercise with players, and that's something that I found to be very useful. Where what I do is uh, I, I just ask them to visualize the game out in the head and then just picture picture the minimap in their mind. And uh, we say that okay, so you're spawning, you're walking out of base, what are you thinking about? Right? And and I'll give them I'll give them the bam pick at the start of things, right? So this simulates the so we simulate the moment the, the champions are locked in. What are you communicating? The moment you spawn in the game, what are you doing? Right? This is the first wave, how do you play the first wave? This is the second wave, how do you play the second wave? This is the third wave, how do you play the third wave? And then I do it wave by wave to a certain point, like at least mm -hmm. for the first seven waves or so. Then when it comes, then we, we talk about broader concepts, right? Like this is the scenario, your sightings are here, what are you supposed to be doing now? So it's more of a, a mental exercise to help them visualize what's happening in the game. And then they have the time to go through the decisions and kind of ingrain the things that they've been learning into a, into a, and draw the proper associations to make the right decisions when it comes to the actual match itself, where there's a lot more pressure. And it takes the focus away from uh, having to make an immediate decision, whereas there's a lot of things happening on your screen at once, so it's easy for you to get distracted yeah. sometimes. So it, it, this is a this is access this is sorry, this exercise is something that I found to be to be useful. Once again, not sure if you call that a drill. Yeah, not really. It's I guess visualization or maybe kind of a little bit of role playing. Um, and we've actually done this this something kind of similar to that a little bit on Twitter now and then with uh, with I post like analyst analyst challenges I can't say it for some reason uh, I'd post a screenshot of a game state or you know a, a short video clip of a game state and then say okay what do you do next what are you thinking about um, and kind of help people get into that mindset and see it's often quite difficult right right it's it's pretty easy to sit back and go oh, obviously they should have done this after it's already happened but to think in advance and what should you be thinking about what are the intentions stuff like that is is definitely a great way to learn whether you're a player or just somebody who wants to kind of understand the game better. Uh, great. So yeah, that was, that was all really, really interesting. Uh, appreciate you being here, Jensen. What's the best way for people to follow your work and to kind of get to know more about you and your team over the coming season? 
I think the best way would be obviously follow me on Twitter, right? Yeah. And, so uh, at Jensen Go LLL, I've yeah. changed it. Used to be used to be something else. Now I'm just Jensen Go. Jensen Go League of LLL for League of Legends, right? Yeah, we'll, G O we'll with G O H H at the end of it. Yeah, we'll put the link for that in the, in the show notes, so to make it really uh, possible, that you can find that, and also your, your YouTube channel and uh, other things with that. Um, so people can definitely keep up with what, what Jensen is doing. And he's, he's one of the more open coaches and, and more uh, approachable, I would say, from, from those uh, in, in the scene that you could definitely talk to. So uh, make sure to, to check that out. Uh, you can support the True Sight podcast at patreon.com slash oracleselixir. You can subscribe on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, as well as anchor.fm slash truesight. And you should definitely check out the Oracles Elixir Discord server to talk LOL esports, data science, and a lot of other topics. Uh, links for those as well are all going to be in the show notes. This has been the True Sight Podcast with Jensen Go, the coach of Immortals Academy, and I'm Tim Sevenhusen. Thanks for listening.